This is a book, uh, and what we're going to do today, I just want to kind of give you a heads up. We're going to give, give this book as a gift to uh, every household here today. And this book is called God is the Gospel by Pastor John Piper. And um, at the end of the service, we're going to pass these out very quickly, very efficiently. And so, you know, if you're here uh, as a husband and wife and, and you've got your, your family, your children, we want to give a book to each household. If you're a single adult, uh, then, you know, uh, we want you to make sure you get a book. So every household represented, we want to give this book. And uh, what I'm going to talk to you about today is, is kind of centered around the theme of this book. And so don't leave without your gift today is what I'm saying. So as soon as the message is over... We're going to pass these out to each one of you and uh, hope and believe it will be a blessing to you. Amen? Amen. All right. Today we're going to talk about the gospel's greatest gift. Does everyone have a message guide? If you need a message guide, raise your hand and we'll make sure you get one. Anybody need one? Anybody did not get one when they came in today? Okay. There's a question here at the beginning of your message guide, the gospel's greatest gift. And the question comes from, uh, it's a a question John Piper poses in his book here. Let me just read this question to you, and I want you to think about this. The critical question for each generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you've ever seen, all the physical pleasures you've ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there. Now, I know your reaction is, well, of course not. But, you know, this is really an important question for us to ponder. You know, we know what the right answer is as Christians. But I think it's also important for us sometimes to really think about, I know for me personally, how I live my life. Do I really... Am I conscious of this reality? What would heaven be like if Christ were not there? Well, it wouldn't even be heaven, right? (laughs) Christ isn't there. But I think a lot of times our concept of heaven and our looking forward to heaven has so much to do with the pleasures and the good things. And, you know, we can run barefoot and we won't get stickers in our feet. And we can eat all the cake and ice cream we want and we won't get you know, uh, sick. I don't know if that's true or not, but these are kind of the things, you know, that we think about. But the point of heaven is not to just live in some state of bliss all the time, and we can do anything we want and have any pleasure we want and never feel guilty about it. The point of heaven is Christ. And this is, this is what this book is about, the greatest gift that God has given us is himself. God is the gospel. The good news is not all, it's not all the things we're going to get to do when we get to heaven. 
The point is, God has given himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And the question for leaders, for pastors such as myself is, do we preach and teach and lead in such a way that people are prepared to hear that question and answer with a resounding no? I would not be satisfied if Christ were not there. Paul said this in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 3.8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Father, we ask you today as we look at the gospel and the message of the gospel, I ask you, Lord, that you would help us to see that the greatest gift that you have given us, indeed the gospel is, is the gift of yourself. It is that you have given yourself, not just for us, but to us. And the good news is, the gospel is that we can receive you and abide in you, in your life forever. That you are the greatest gift that has been given. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to this truth. Help us to see that heaven is so much more than just a spiritual amusement land that we'll live in forever. But heaven... Eternity is an eternity with you, in you. You are the object. You are the beauty we are to behold forever and ever and ever. Amen. So this is the all-encompassing gift of God's love through the gospel. To see and savor the glory of Christ forever. That we will see and savor the glory of Christ for all eternity. In place of this, we've turned the love of God and the gospel of Christ into a, a divine endorsement of our delight in many lesser things. Now think about that. Much of what we think about sometimes really are Delighting in lesser things, there is nothing greater than God Himself. What He has given us in Himself, there is nothing greater. Especially the delight of our being made much of. There used to be a saying that went around, I'm the one God loves most. Well, listen, God loves me. He does, and He loves you too child of God. But the point of the gospel isn't so God could love us, because God loved us before Christ came to this earth, or he would have never come. Here's, a, here's another question. The acid test of biblical God-centeredness is this. Do you feel more loved because God makes much of you, or because, listen church, at the cost of His Son, He enables you to enjoy 
making much of him forever. I'm going to ask you that question again because this is important. And I want you to catch the difference here. Do you feel more love because God makes much of you? Or because at the cost of his son, he enables you to enjoy making much of him forever? That's an important question. How we view the gospel determines how we answer that question. The greatest gift of the gospel is God himself. The greatest gift of the gospel is God himself. The gospel is never me-centered. It is always Christ-centered. The point of the gospel is the revelation of the glory of Christ. The point of the gospel is not for God to make a big deal over me. The point of the gospel is for me to make a big deal over him. The point of the gospel is the revelation of the glory of Christ. Ephesians 2.7, Paul says that in the ages to come, God would show the richness of his grace through us. That we will testify of the richness of his grace and of his glory in all eternity because of the redemption we have in Christ. The power of the gospel is the power to receive the gift of God himself in Christ. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The power of the gospel is the power to receive the gift of God himself in Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. This is the power of the gospel. This is the purpose of the gospel. Through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel, we are able to receive God himself. Not a ticket to a wonderful amusement land in the sky that we'll never grow tired of, that we'll have fun at every day. And No, 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 no. The gift of the gospel is God himself. The gospel is to reveal the glory of Christ that we would receive that gift of God himself, who is our very salvation. The ultimate good made possible by the death and resurrection of Christ and offered in the gospel is God himself. Turn to John chapter 11. Jesus said to Martha, In this chapter, this is where Lazarus dies. The friend of Jesus, Lazarus. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, is found in these these verses here. When Jesus wept, it says. We could spend a whole message talking about why Jesus wept and what that means. But it was significant enough for God to record it in the scripture that that the Son of God wept at the death of his friend. Believe and see the glory of God. Believe and see the glory of God. Let's read in starting in verse 21, John 11, 21. 
Now, <clears throat> you know this story. Jesus is off ministering. He's in another town, another region, and he gets word. Lazarus is sick. Please come, Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus hung out another couple of days where he was and didn't rush off to heal his friend. No doubt Jesus knew what was going on here, right? You say, well, that's kind of insensitive of Jesus. Why didn't he? No, it wasn't insensitive of Jesus. That was kind of unfair that God didn't heal me. No, it's not unfair that God didn't heal you. God knew what he was doing when he hung back two days and allowed Lazarus to die. God knows what he's doing when he heals us and when he doesn't heal us. God knows what he's doing when he allows us to walk through the valley of shadow or when he takes us up on the high mountain place and we experience the exhilaration of life. He knows what he's doing, whether we're in the valley or on the mountaintop. He knows what he's doing. He is the Lord. And so finally, Jesus is making his way. He's going to where Lazarus is. But it's too late. Lazarus has already died. Martha comes out to meet Jesus. Here's where we'll pick it up in verse 21. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, church, don't miss what Jesus said in that statement right there. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And then Jesus goes on, Martha runs, tells Mary, the master's here, he's calling for you. Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. Let's go to verse 39. He's at the tomb of Lazarus, they're all there, standing there, and Jesus says in verse 39, take away the stone. And Martha the sister of Lazarus, who's been dead now for four days, laying in this tomb. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, listen church, that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. They took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. Do you hear that, church? Did you hear what Jesus said? I thank you, Father, that you heard me. 
And I thank you that you always hear me. The Father is never deaf to the Son. There is not one thing that the Son would ever ask that the Father would not hear and be aware of. Amen? That is very important for us if we know who we are in Christ. If we know who we're not and we know who we are. If we understand who we used to be and we understand who we are now in Christ, that statement right there by Jesus concerning his relationship with his Father, that is so important that that, that's just an understatement for me to even say that. That gives us such comfort and such peace and such hope that the Father always hears the Son. And if you know who you are in the Son, and you understand that if you are born again today, that you are in the Son, that is a statement of great hope which God has given to us. He says, I thank you because of the people who are standing by, and I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. Now, here's my point in recounting this section of Scripture to you. Remember, Jesus said to Martha, Did I not say to you, if you would believe you would see the glory of God. Do you realize, church, that that day some people saw Lazarus raised from the dead, but they did not see the glory of God? You say, oh, how is that possible? They saw Lazarus raised from the dead. Well, see, you missed the point. Lazarus being raised from the dead wasn't the glory of God. If Lazarus would have never been raised from the dead, the glory of God would have still been there. Because the glory of God wasn't Lazarus being raised from the dead. The glory of God was Jesus Christ standing in their midst. The word made flesh dwelling among them. That is the glory of God. But we are often distracted by the acts of God and we end up missing the glory of God. The glory of God must be discerned and understood as much more than simply the acts of God, the deeds of God, the miracles of God. Many simply seeking the acts of God will miss the glory of God. Why? Because Christ, Christ is the glory of God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Let's read in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God, Do you see what Paul is describing as the glory of God? 
who is the image of God, should shine on them, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, first creation, that same God who said, let there be light at the beginning of creation, and there was light, that same God has shown in our hearts, Paul said, for those who believe, that same God who said, let there be light at the beginning of creation, has shown in our hearts. Hearts, those who believe, those who have come to see the glory of God, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, where? In the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God wasn't in Lazarus walking out of that tomb. The glory of God was in the one who called him forth. The glory of God was the one who would either call him forth that day or raise him up in that last day. Christ is the glory of God. Has God shown in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? Has God, has God shown in your heart? Is Jesus just someone you've got information about? Is Jesus just someone that you grew up learning about, knowing about because your parents made you go to church every Sunday? I didn't go to church growing up. I didn't have one bit of interest in going to church growing up. I went for weddings and funerals and only when I absolutely had to. It was the most boring, uninteresting place I'd ever been. I'm just being honest with you. There wasn't anything about church appealing to me. Nothing. I couldn't dress the way I liked to dress when I went to church. I had to wear clothes that I never wear. You know, I had to wear dress shoes and dress pants and dress shirts. I didn't wear those things growing up. Is that who Jesus is to you? Some old guy that just doesn't have any relevance to your life? Or maybe you're too scared to really say that, so you kind of like have this hidden, you know, what you really think of Jesus, but you wouldn't dare voice that. And you don't even like thinking it because you're afraid of God might get mad at you if, if he found out that's what you really thought. Uh, newsflash, he, you can't hide that from him. It doesn't really matter. And, and even if you think Jesus is the best guy in, on, on earth and the best thing since sliced bread, that doesn't mean anything either. That doesn't impress God either. It means absolutely nothing to him. See, the question is not whether you know Jesus. The question is, does Jesus know you? They came to Jesus and they said, Lord, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We did miracles in your name. We prophesied in your name. Woo, hallelujah. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. But Lord, we know you. Doesn't matter. I don't know you. See, there's a lot of people who think they know Jesus Oh, yeah, I've been to church, been there, done that. Read the Bible, been there, done that. I'm a scientist. I'm an atheist. Or maybe I'm a very religious and devoutly devoted person to God. But my question still remains, does God know you? Because how devoted or not devoted or religious or not religious or atheistic or non-atheistic or scientific or unscientific, none of those things really matter. They don't matter. 
What matters is, does God know you? And the only way God can know you is in his son. So the ultimate, remember the ultimate good of the gospel is God offering himself to us. Has God shown a light in your heart? Is Christ the glory that you seek and desire? Not his acts, not what he can do for you, but is Christ himself the glory you seek? Is Christ himself what you desire more than life itself? Because he is your life. And apart from him, there there is no life. Christ Christ is the glory of God. When we see Jesus, we see the glory of God as in no other or greater manifestation. Christ is the glory of God. And there is no manifestation of God greater than Christ himself. There is no glory of God greater than Christ himself. John 1.14, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word, that Word that was in the beginning, that Word that is God, that Word became flesh, Jesus Christ, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Christ is the glory of God. Christ is the fullness of God's glory and the fullness of Deity. Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Colossians 2.9, for in him dwells, listen church, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ dwells all the fullness of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is why Jesus, with his disciples, just just at most hours before his arrest to be crucified, says to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Don't you know that the Father is in me and I am in the Father? How long have I been with you and you do not know? That I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Show us the Father, Jesus, and it will be sufficient. Oh, Jesus might show us the Father. Look, guys, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because the Father and I are one. This is the God This is the God who has given himself to us as the greatest gift of the gospel. This is the God who came to earth and came to us because we could not come to him. Who humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross and became a curse for us. This is the God who says, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Does that mean they wear the same shoe size? Same shirt size? No. That's not what he meant. 
They are one. It's a mystery. But they are one. How do we see Jesus? We will see him by faith or we will not see him at all. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. How did Abraham see Jesus? He saw him by faith, the scripture says. We're called children of Abraham because he's the father of faith. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I see him physically and handle him physically. About that time, Jesus appears right there. Thomas falls down on his knees and puts his fingers in the wounds in his hands and puts, puts his hand in the wound in his side and he says, my, my Lord, my Lord. Jesus says, blessed are you, Thomas, because seeing you have believed, but more blessed are those who will believe having not seen Physically, because see, Thomas had to come to see Jesus the very same way all of us here have to come to see Jesus. Seeing a physical Jesus is not going to make you believe. Seeing Jesus by faith is the only way you will ever come to believe because it's the only way that you can ever truly see him. That day, many saw a man call a dead man out of a tomb And they said, wow, that was awesome. He raised the dead. But they went away and didn't realize that they had just witnessed the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. They believed that Lazarus was resurrected from the dead because they saw it with their eyes, but they didn't believe in the Son of Man because they did not see him by faith. Do you see him by faith this morning, church? Do you see him by faith? If we don't see him by faith, we won't see him. To please God is to trust in his son. Through faith, you enter into the promise of the gospel. If you have been crucified with Christ, you have been raised in the newness of his life. This is what the gospel teaches. This is what Paul writes over and over in his epistles. The only way to be pleasing to the Father is to be raised in the life of the Son. It's not about you living your life and behaving a certain way and dressing a certain way and doing certain things. And if you don't walk that narrow path, boy, God's going to get you. That's not what it's about. That's not how we're pleasing to the Father. The only way we can be pleasing to the Father is to come to find our life in the Son. And the only way we can come to find our life in the Son is to lose our life first, to be crucified with him. And if I've been crucified with him, I've been raised in his life. And if I'm raised in his life, then something's going to be different. It's not because I act differently that makes me different. It's the fact that he transformed me, he saved me, he redeemed me, he raised me, and that changes everything. Everything. Not because you try and work real hard to make a change, but because he has done something that you were never able to do to begin with.
It is the light that God shines in our heart that empowers us to see God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And through that faith, through faith, we are born again. We are changed at the very depth of our being. We become, the Bible says, new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The gospel declares His glory. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I don't remember if I put the scripture in your message guide or not. I know the reference is there. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. The gospel is something that is to be declared. Why God chose to do it this way, I don't know, but he has chosen for men to be his messengers that will proclaim his gospel, that will declare, make known, and who will Look what Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached. Your life should declare the gospel. The preaching, your words should also declare. God has ordained that there be men such as myself, but not just exclusive to men like me, but there are men who are called to preach the gospel because it is through the preaching of the gospel that God gives the revelation of the glory of Christ. But it should be more than just my preaching or your witnessing, your life should declare the reality of the gospel. Your life should. Whether you ever utter a word or not, your life should communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. Your life should communicate the love the love of Jesus Christ. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive. The gospel is something that must be received. And in which you stand, the gospel is something we stand in. The good news of Jesus Christ is something you can stand in, church. You can stand against all the things that will come against you in life through the gospel, because of what Christ has done and what he has given to you in himself, by which also you were saved. Remember, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. For I delivered to you, first of all, that, I, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. And in those three realities that that are one reality, we call it the preaching of the cross. In his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, this this brings us to the totality of what God has done through the gospel. This is what he wants to make known to men. We often recount the resurrection as a way to help us hang on a little while longer in this weary life, right? But that's really not the purpose of the resurrection. And that's not the reason to tell about the resurrection. 
It's true, life is weary sometimes. And even in the weariness of life, God is our ever-present help. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Amen? But the resurrection transcends our weariness. It transcends our weakness. It transcends our good days and our bad days. The resurrection transcends all of that. The resurrection of Christ makes it possible for us to live and move, as it says in the book of Acts. In Him we live and move and have our being. The resurrection has made it possible for us to live and move and have our very being in Christ. The cross, listen, the cross brings the forgiveness of sin through death, but the resurrection translates us out of darkness, out of death into the kingdom of the Son. It takes us out of darkness and it takes us out of death and it translates us into, it conveys us into the very life, the very resurrection life of Christ himself. Paul says, if you've been crucified with Christ, you've been raised with Christ. Go to Romans 6.4. Paul says it like this in his letter to the Romans. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Your baptism, if you've ever been baptized... Your baptism didn't save you. Your baptism spoke of a reality that you were buried, you were crucified with Christ. When people die, what do you do with them? You bury them. Your baptism represents your burial. Why? Because you died with Christ. You were crucified with Christ. You were buried with Christ. And if you were crucified with Him and buried with Him, here's the promise. You shall be raised with him to walk in the newness of his life. This is what Romans says throughout. This is what Paul is saying in this verse of Scripture right here. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Colossians 2.12. Paul writes to this church here and he says, Buried with him in baptism. Why? Because I was crucified with him. I died with him, I was crucified with him, I was buried with him, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the cross brings the forgiveness of sin through death, but the resurrection translates us out of death and into his resurrection life. When? One day at the end of all the stuff? and No, right now. If you're born again, you live right now in the reality of his resurrection. Or you don't live at all. The fact that your body will be resurrected one day is a foregone conclusion because you live in the reality of his resurrection now. How do you do that? You do that by faith. This is what the gospel calls us to. This is what the gospel commands us to believe. And it does command us to believe this. Do you know that no person is going to come to faith in Christ because you make a logical argument and lead them there. You're never going to present enough archaeological, historical, scientific evidence to someone that's finally going to make them believe in Jesus. 
You know how I know that? Because that's what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me that these things are not comprehended with our intellect. Now, God gave us an intellect, and we better use it because it's a wonderful thing. But don't confuse what you're to use your intellect for versus what you can only discern by your spirit. You know, I use this simple example. We don't hear a sunset, we see a sunset. Trying to figure out God, trying to convince someone to intellectually believe is like trying to get them to hear a sunset. It is never going to happen. Because your ear is not the right faculty to perceive a sunset. Your eye is. Faith in Christ, trust in Christ, has nothing to do with trying to create some intellectual argument. It doesn't. Trying to convince someone that the resurrection is real because there's, listen, there's so much, there's so much evidence for the Bible being not only real and reliable and true, it's, it's, it's not even, it's laughable. People are not even intellectually honest when they say, well, there's no evidence. There's more evidence for what this Bible says than there is anything else we believe in history, yet we don't have any problem believing anything else in history. You know why? Because nothing else in history makes a demand on our life except what this word says right here. Because if I admit that this is true, then I, I got, there's some things i got to deal with. So it's just easier to say, well, you know, that's just a myth. A bunch of guys got high and wrote that book and blah, blah, blah. Man, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know how that book came into being. Faith in Christ is something that must take place here. And it is not an intellectual thing. It is a supernatural thing. And this is what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 4 when he said the same God who shone light at creation. That wasn't a natural thing either. God supernaturally caused light to shine. Now light's a real thing. It's got real properties. It, it does real things. It's, it's amazing. The Bible says God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light. Before he spoke and said, let there be light, what was there? There was darkness. Paul says the same darkness that existed prior to creation is the same darkness that's in your heart. And the same God who said, let there be light at creation must cause light to shine in your heart so that you may see and know the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Why did some people see Lazarus raised from the tomb and, and thought they saw the glory of God and, and didn't really give much attention to Jesus? Because the reality is, when, by the time they took Jesus to the cross, a lot of those people that were all excited about the resurrection of, of Lazarus uh, they weren't real excited about Jesus anymore. They remembered the resurrection of Lazarus, but they had no real concept or discernment or understanding or comprehension of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. I'm saying to you, has God, I'm asking you this morning, has God shown a light in your heart? 
that you may see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Throw everything else out. Not just do you know him, but does he know you? Has God, has God shown a light in your heart? Is Jesus the glory of God that you desire? Or are you still looking for the acts of God, the deeds of God? Is God just your spiritual 911 you call on when you get into trouble? Is he someone that's not approachable to you because you're not worthy? Listen, we're, none of us are worthy. There's only one worthy. It's the Son, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy. Are you in Him? Because if you're in Him, you have complete access to the Father. If you're in Christ, remember, the Father always hears the Son. One last scripture. John chapter 14. This is, again, just hours before the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. This is where Jesus tells his disciples. John 14, 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. And then Jesus goes on and he talks to them and he talks about a little while longer. He says, and the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me, verse 19, because I live. And because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Not, not some future day. He was talking at that day, that day of his resurrection. John 14, 20. Do you see the difference, church? I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. After the resurrection, look what Jesus says. At that day, because I live, you live also. At that day, verse 20. You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Child of God, where are you? Are you in Christ? Is Christ in the Father? I go back to the significance of that statement. The Father hears. I thank you, Father, that you hear everything I say. Where are you, church? Where's your faith? Is your faith in what God might do for you? Or is your faith in the glory of God found only in the face of Jesus Christ? Are you desiring what God can do for you? Are you desiring the greatest gift that God has given? That is the gift of himself. Do you realize the significance of the resurrection is that now we have access through the Son, in the Son, to the Father Himself, and that God has given Himself to us. This is the greatest gift 
of the gospel? Do you live with that knowledge, with that comprehension? Or is God still someone who's up in heaven just waiting to smack you because you you can't seem to get it right? Or is he up there waiting for you to come through some other avenue, someone more worthy? I've got to have someone else pray for me, someone else go for me because I'm not worthy. No, you're right, you're not worthy, but Christ is. And the whole point is, if you're crucified with Christ, you don't, you don't exist anymore. You don't live anymore. You have access to the Father now through the Son. He is your mediator. He is your identity. Amen. This is the call of the gospel, to trust in the Son. Now, next, the next three weeks, we're going to continue this, and we're going to look at the heart of the gospel. Christ died for us. Christ was buried for us, and Christ rose for us. We're going to look at the death, what it means for old things to pass away. We're going to look at the burial, what it means to put away those things which are dead. And we're going to look at the resurrection and what it means to walk in newness of life. Because this is the gospel. Our hope is not just we get to go to heaven one day. Our greatest hope is that now God has enabled us to walk in newness of life. And where do we do that? We do it in the Son. Amen? Amen. This is the call of the gospel, to trust in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're getting ready to bring uh, the books. We're going to pass out those, these gifts to each one of you. I just want to ask you right now, as they're, as they're coming and getting ready, is there anyone here right now, you, you'd be bold enough to say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I don't know if I've ever truly been saved, been born again. I know of Jesus, I know about Jesus, but I, I don't know if, if, if he knows me. And now that is the most important thing. It's not what you know about him. It's whether he knows you. Does he know you? And if you're here and you want to know Jesus and you want to make sure Jesus knows you, you say, I just want to make sure that I have committed my life to Christ. There's no greater time to do it than right now. Not because this is Easter Sunday. Because it's right now. Because now is the time, today is the day. Amen? And if that's you, I want to invite you to come and talk with me after the service. And I'd like to pray with you. Amen? All right. You guys come on up. And so what I want you to do, to make this real simple, if you represent a household here, whether it's a household with a wife and children, or whether it's a household that you represent by yourself. If you represent a household, hold up your hand. If, I, if we've got like, uh, you know, uh, say I brought my boyfriend with me. Can we each have one? Absolutely, you know. Uh,
It's a wonderful book. Now, it's not a mystery novel. It's not a romance novel. Well, it actually it is. It is kind of a romance novel when you realize how much God loved us and what he gave to us as a result of that love. And, and it is pretty mysterious that God would do that. But praise God he did. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we are so thankful today. Lord, what you've promised to us through the gospel is so much greater than the lesser things we often look, look to and look forward to. And I'm thankful for all of those things that we have to look forward to. But God, the greatest gift that you've given us is the gift of yourself. The greatest thing that we can come to know, Lord, is to know you. And Lord, in truly knowing you and truly coming to that place of what you describe, Lord Jesus, as being born again, what the Apostle Paul describes as, as entering in by faith, a righteousness that we didn't earn, a righteousness that, that we didn't get, gain in any way, shape, or form in ourselves, but Lord, it was a gift that you gave us. Jesus, you are our righteousness. You are the righteousness of God that's been given to us. Lord, we thank you this morning on this day that, Lord, the church worldwide celebrates as the resurrection of Christ. Lord, this isn't really the day of your resurrection. Lord, every day is a day that we celebrate the glorious reality of resurrection. And we thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for each person here. I pray, God, for eyes and ears to be open. I pray, God, that you would open the hearts and the minds and the spirits of men and women to know you and to be known by you that they would come to salvation in Christ Jesus. That they would come to faith in Christ. And I pray, Father, if there are any here today that have never come to that place, that, Lord, they would take the time the most important decision they'll ever make in their life, Father, is that decision to surrender all to you, to be crucified with you, and to be raised with you in newness of life. Lord, for that promise and that hope, we give you thanks and we give you glory. In the name above all names, everybody said, amen. amen. Come on, give them a good hand. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. God bless you. Have a great day. If you're here and you want to know a little bit more about salvation, please come. Please take the time. If you're here and you need prayer about something going on physically in your body, something going on in your life,